Um, we, we know with all certainty that we would be extending health officer orders for the next three months. There's no way unless there was a dramatic change in sort of this virus uh, and the tools that we have at hand to, to actually uh, fight against this virus. There's no way that we could, in fact, see us not needing to continue with a set of restrictions. Earlier this week, those comments made by Los Angeles County Public Health Director Barbara Ferrer sent Los Angeles into a panic. Headlines all across the nation declared that she had all but announced L.A. would be under stay-at-home orders through July and August. However, later that day, L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti appeared on CNN to walk back and clarify Ferrer's comments. That doesn't mean the order stays in place exactly as it is today. But of course, we're still going to have to protect our vulnerable and our seniors. We're still going to need to wear facial coverings. We're still going to need to physically distance. And the steps that we earn each week and each month are going to be based on where the numbers are and how safe we can make spaces and places. So it's just a reminder of how delicate and fragile this time is, but to not freak out when you hear a scientist say that it's still going to be here and we're still going to be living under health orders, all of us in America, for many, many months, if not into next year. But at the same time, it really puts that in our hands to know our compliance with these orders helps us take steps forward as we did this week in Los Angeles and as we hope to do a little bit with some more baby steps this coming week too. So yeah, while we will undoubtedly be living under some sort of continued safety regulations for months to come, city leaders will continue to slowly and cautiously lift certain restrictions as they are currently doing if the science and data supports it. So you can go ahead and let out a small sigh of relief. Christina Pascucci had a chance to once again speak with Dr. Mark Eckstein. He's the man in charge of testing in Los Angeles about his insight and perspective into the economic shutdown and safer at home orders and his views on when we should move forward. He also shared an update on the city's testing efforts and their new telemedicine program. Here's Christina with Dr. Mark Eckstein. Dr. Eckstein, great to have you again. Uh, You've been busy? (laughs) Always. I know it's been crazy. Let's just start by kind of putting to bed the thing that everyone's talking about um, surrounding the confusion this week and the the stay-at-home order well into the summer, almost reaching to August. What's your response to all that hoopla? Well, um, I know that... uh her comments yesterday generated a lot of concern and questions because, you know, now we're into phase two where there's been a gradual, you know, phase in reopening of the economy and additional businesses have been allowed to reopen with under new parameters Mm -hmm. uh, with social distancing guidelines and the beaches have reopened with some limitations. So, Obviously, people are, you know, been very anxious, looking forward to resume some degree of normalcy in their lives and get back to work and mm-hmm. get back to school. So, a comment that suggested that we may need to remain, in, you know, at home till uh, through August, obviously, sent reverberations throughout this county, and people were uh, quite surprised and caught off guard by those comments. So, just to be clear. You don't believe we will be on lockdown that long, the way we are now, at least. No, I, th- I think uh, what's happening, from my perspective, is um, you know the 
the lockdown, I hate to call it lockdown, but the economic shutdown, the safe at home orders at the city, county, state level, uh, social distancing measures, things of that nature, I think have worked. And I think if you look at the metrics in California and, and LA, as bad as they look, they're nowhere near as bad as what we've seen in other parts of the country, uh, particularly New York City. Uh, so I think clearly the measures that uh, have been instituted and, and by and large people have conformed to and obeyed have been successful to reduce uh, morbidity and mortality, meaning death and, and suffering and disease from COVID. Um, I have every expectation and certainly hope that will continue. You know, I see both sides, but I, I don't think we could ignore uh, the unintended consequences of, of uh, prolonging an economic shutdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people need to be able to uh, resume work, resume school, uh, be able to earn incomes, pay their bills, and feed their families. Uh, you look at the spike in, in calls to mental health uh, crisis hotlines. You look at the spike in domestic violence calls. The number of uh, businesses, particularly small businesses, and, and actually some large c- companies as well that are, that are going bankrupt or may never reopen. Yeah, uh, it's been you know, The economic devastation is really important. Um, I, I don't think we could look at this in a vacuum and say, let's wait till you know we there's no more deaths from COVID, for example. Um, there's always going to be death and disease from illnesses like influenza, um, but we have to say, at what point is it reasonably safe to have a measured reopening? And the phases we talked about, I think, is very reasonable. And I think any suggestion that we're going to do a 180 and go back to uh, where we were, phase one, which is extreme reduced capacity and and basically stay at home and only essential businesses are allowed to open, um, I think is obviously going to cause concern. And again, the the economic devastation will lead to um, health problems and yeah, we can't do it anymore. We can't do it anymore. I'm actually going insane and I, and I have no right to be because I have a job, thankfully that gets me out of the house. I'm reporting, but so I can't imagine people who have been in their homes this whole time and they're, they're losing it. Um, what do you think? What do you think the next phase will be? When will it be? Yeah. I mean, well, you know, one is the concept of going stir crazy, which you you know alluded to. Uh, but the bigger issue is people can't earn a living and can't yeah. pay their rent and can't put food on the table to feed their families. And that's a, that's a real consideration. So um, I'm optimistic we'll continue to gradually reopen in a prudent fashion. I mean, it's a very deliberate, measured fashion. And like everything, is you have to weigh you know the risk versus benefit. Um, we know there's still going to be, you know, tragically loss of life from COVID. But I think also now that we're several months into this pandemic, you know, we have learned a lot. And I think the data is very clear that patients who are older, so over 65, over 80, um, and or have chronic medical problems uh, or obesity are at much, much higher risk than the rest of the population. Uh, mm-hmm. Although there's been a cluster of concerning cases of children and toddlers with this uh, inflammatory syndrome that mirrors Kawasaki disease, you know, it's a handful of kids that, you know, that have been some case reports in uh, Children's Hospital here in L.A. and in New York City. By and large, um, people who are under age 40, who are otherwise healthy, certainly under age 35, uh, you know, the chance of being getting 
sick with COVID to require hospitalization, ICU care, a ventilator, or um, becoming a fatality is exceedingly, exceedingly low. People have to be smart and say, you know, we this, we can't look at this in a vacuum and say, yeah. let's keep we can stay closed indefinitely until there's no one die, no one dying of this disease. And again, we have to remember when this pandemic first broke, a lot of people compared COVID to seasonal flu. influenza. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know, I, I constantly remind people that a typical year in the United States with seasonal influenza or a flu kills 25 to 35,000 Americans a year. That's a typical season. Yeah. And when it's a particularly bad flu season, like the one we had three years ago, there was between 65 to 85,000 Americans who died of flu. And the upper limit of that is basically the same number of people who've died of COVID though, so far in the United States. So not to minimize this horrific disease, but you have to put it in perspective that we have tens of thousands of Americans die every year from the flu. Right. And I when I say I'm going insane, it's not it's not because I'm feeling stir crazy only. Um, it's because I feel the collective angst. I feel the response we're getting from viewers who are so worried about you know, their future, their job, their small business. It's the feeling of um, just not knowing what's going to happen. We have another multi-trillion dollar bailout package coming from the federal government. How will we be able to sustain this? Are we going to crash after all this is said and done? Like These are all the thoughts that uh, are constantly being discussed and felt by millions of Americans. And so the sooner we can safely open up, I think the better off, obviously, we will all be. So your, your answers and insight is very helpful. Let's talk about LA because a big part of this and something that the public health director did talk about is testing, which is what you were in charge of. So where are we now with that? And then also tell us about the telemedicine program. So I think we're kind of at a crossroads with testing. Uh, We've tested about 125,000 Angelinos just in the city thus far. Um, As you know, the mayor opened up testing, um, to the final phase, which is anyone who wants to be tested, symptomatic or not. We've opened up to everybody, and we have targeted testing with uh, probably the most, by far and away, the most impacted group, which are those uh, residents of nursing homes. And we also have targeted testing of the homeless, and the data there is pretty interesting. But clearly the data shows that you know we have to really put our efforts together uh, to address the, the nursing home population because they are the most vulnerable population because they're debilitated, they have chronic medical problems, they're elderly, they're in congregate living. So if you have someone who's otherwise healthy and they're asymptomatically shedding COVID and they expose a nursing home population, um, the results are devastating. What do you think ultimately it will take to to stop the spread? Is it a test, trace, and, and isolate type deal? Yeah, I mean, the test, trace, and isolate is basically the paradigm that... that it, in terms of the fundamental approach to this, uh, this pandemic, but I think now we have to really sharp, you know, focus our efforts. So I'd much rather see us spend the time and personnel and expertise on all the extended living facilities. So nursing homes, skilled nursing facilities, jails, and uh, homeless shelters. I mean, those you know are the big three, 
And obviously the nursing homes are most impacted because it's not just congregate living, but the patients are chronically ill and they're mm-hmm. debilitated, so they can't fight the infection. Okay. And what about this telemedicine program? Because I know you guys had started that and it was a great way to protect first responders. Can you explain briefly the background and, and where you intend to go with it? Yeah, so we launched our uh, first ever telemedicine program, the LAFD, uh, early April. And um, what we've done, this was, uh, I believe, the first of its kind in the country where we um, uh, we sort of have a system. We have our own dispatch system, and then when our, someone calls 911, our call taker asks a series of scripted questions, and they categorize, they select the category of the call sort of based on the chief complaint. And certain pre-selected categories, rather than dispatch fire engines or ambulances, will transfer the call to one of our telemedicine providers at the dispatch center. And these are specially trained emergency physicians or uh, PAs or NPs, we call them uh, EMS advanced providers. They'll uh, then send a link to the patient if they're calling from a smartphone and then establish a video connection. So it's kind of like a HIPAA-protected FaceTime. Yeah to be able to evaluate the patient with a telemedicine, you know, contact. So we're able to leverage technology and innovation. So the telemedicine provider evaluates the patient in his or her home, wherever they are calling from, and then determine what's the, what level of service can we provide? Because many of these callers don't need an ambulance to come out and don't need a transport to an emergency room. So it's been very successful. It's been very well received. We're doing callbacks with most of the patients to make sure they're, they're still safe, what their degree of satisfaction is. Um, we're excited to roll out the next phase, which we anticipate will be sometime uh, in June, where we're going to take one area of the city, one battalion, and then allow our uh, EMTs and paramedics on scene to take the to identify these low-risk patients and then initiate the telemedicine call from the scene with the goal of being able to safely release our resources and not and basically avoid uh, our ambulances transporting very low acuity patients who really don't need the services of an ambulance or an emergency room. Yeah, makes a lot more sense, a lot more efficient. That's awesome. Um, what do you think will be the next freedom, so to speak, that we get back? Well, I mean, I think uh, humans are... You know, we need social interaction. That's part of being a human being. And I think that's what's been so difficult for people from a feeling so isolated. Um, I think a couple of things, you know, we talk about the new normal. I think as, as places like restaurants begin to open and, and more retail stores start to open, I think, this, you know, I think wearing of masks is going to be, that's going to be around for a while. Concept of social distancing, the concept of having open seats on planes or tables that are next to you in a restaurant that are open is going to become the norm. And obviously that comes at economic cost because it's less revenue to those businesses, but at least people could start to go out and resume some degree of normalcy. Uh, we know the uh, Cal State system has just announced that they, they will go online for school next you know, fall semester. Uh, I'm hopeful that most schools take a different tact and, and, and have in real-time classroom instruction because most people who are college students are millennials, and they are by far, in a way, the least likely to get seriously ill or die from COVID. Mm-hmm. So if there are professors who are older or protected, you know, I think kids should be allowed to go back to school, whether it's grade school all the way through college. 
Um, if we have, you know, particularly the underserved communities, if they miss another semester of, of real instruction in school, those results are going to be devastating. They'll be less able to compete as adults in the, in the future economy. So I think the, resu- the resumption of normalcy is going to take a while. But at the end of the day, um, their the quality of life is sometimes as important, if not more important, than just life in and of itself for, for most people. So again, it's that difficult balance. So I, I hope that our leaders really weigh all those options. And I think if the data shows that we are experiencing a resurgence of cases, and to me it's not just cases, but people who are getting sick enough to be hospitalized or need ICU care or ventilator care or a fatality rate's going up, then we could always you know, reenact more draconian measures in terms of shutting down certain businesses and, and gatherings. So it's not like, you know, a decision needs to be locked in stone. But, you know, I think we just have to weigh the need for human interaction, the need for people to be able to earn a living and go to school and get education and interact with others, I think, um, versus the public health perspective. I think those are equally important. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you, as always, for your insight and time. I know um, (laughs) you're being thrown in a million directions right now or pulled in a million directions so it means a lot that you're uh, you're helping us out thank you oh my pleasure more coronavirus daily tomorrow be sure to visit us at ktla.com slash coronavirus daily where you'll find more information on this episode and all our previous episodes we hope you've subscribed to the podcast on your favorite podcast app you can do so at any time for free And if you haven't already, please leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, just like our friends Clarabella Number 1, KX11, and Pup Francis. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at KTLA Podcasts, and Christina is at ChristinaKTLA on Twitter and at Christina Pascucci on Instagram. For the very latest coronavirus news anytime, visit KTLA.com or check the KTLA News app. See you back here tomorrow. Thanks for listening.